guess I got to turn me on. Well, good morning, loved ones. It is good to see everybody here today. Dick and Lynn are traveling. And Harriet is doing better, which is good. And uh, it's good to see everybody here today. So um, please open your Bibles to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to continue going in that direction. That Bible just doesn't automatically open up to it. Some years back, I I, uh, I taught through Romans some time back, and what was it, about 20 months? Is that how long it took, right around there? I went through it in about 20 months. Now, I've read that there's been pastors that spent like 30 years in Romans, so I probably f- flew through it with 20 months. But it was interesting because my Bible, the Bible that I was using then, would just open up to Romans. So, because I was in it for so long, you just set it down and it opens up to Romans. So, um, maybe that's a testimony to all the electronic stuff I have at home now that my Bible just doesn't open up to First Timothy. But, yeah, so, okay, let's pray and then we'll, we'll dig in. This is good stuff today. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come and look at your word, Lord. And um, Father, I pray that this sermon will challenge us. Lord, I pray that it will challenge us. And yet, Father, I pray that it encourages us. And Lord, the only way that it will challenge us or it will encourage us or convict us, Father, is if your spirit comes and accompanies your preaching of your word. So, Father, I ask that your spirit would come, Lord, and open our eyes and our ears and convict our hearts, Father, encourage our hearts, Lord, that we would be good servants of the King. Father, I thank you for Christ, Lord. I thank you for the example that he always is before us and he always tells us to follow him, Lord. Never once did he say, do as I say, not as I do. But he tells us to follow him. And so, Lord, may we follow him faithfully in our everyday walk. Lord, I just pray that you would be with those who are traveling. I pray, Lord, you would give them safe travels. Father, I pray that you would be with those that are hurting physically, Lord, with pain in their bodies, that you would ease their pain, Lord, that you would give them grace as they deal with their pain. I pray, Father, for those that are dealing with emotional pain. Father, that you would come and comfort them and give them comfort that only you can give, that you would wrap your arms around them, Father, and hold them close to you. Father, I pray for just our service now, Lord, that it would bring all glory to you in your name. Amen. So today we're going to look at the good servant. It's the good servant of Christ is what we're looking at, the good servant of Christ. What measures out a good servant or a good minister of Christ is not necessarily the size of the building. It's not the size of the congregation. It's not how many cars are in the parking lot. Paul does not measure it that way in this letter, but he gives 
certain characteristics of what the good servant or the good minister of Christ is. And I'll use those words interchangeably because Paul is talking to Timothy as he pastors the Ephesians church. But I want us to look at this as good servants of Christ, that it does not only apply to ministers or pastors or elders, but it applies to every single person that's in this building. And Christ is always the ultimate example. Christ is the ultimate good servant. He is the one who served perfectly. And he is where our eyes should always be focused when it comes to our serving is on him. He served his disciples perfectly. He ministered to his disciples perfectly. He ministered to the people he was with perfectly. So he is our ultimate example of all things. And so as we look into this, we have to see that Christ is the example that we follow, but there is this charge to us to be good servants of Christ. So look with me as we read verses 6 through 11 in 1 Timothy 4. The apostle writes this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. Now that word brothers can be translated either brothers brothers and sisters or brothers, but he's talking about the family of God. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. This is what Paul writes. So first of all, we have to look at the anchor. What, what's going to hold us, right? It's the good servant. This is what he says in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. So what's a good servant of Christ? Well, good simply means to be valuable or virtuous, honest or worthy, right? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an honorable position to be called a good servant of Christ, right? We hear this saying all the time that when we go home and we sit before Christ, what we want to hear are the words, well done, good and faithful servant, right? A servant, this is where we get the word uh, deacons from, but this is not the, the word that we get the office, or it's the same word, but this, he's not talking about the office of deacon here. He's talking about servants, All of us are servants of Christ. It could be translated slaves of Christ. Paul says that in other areas where he talks about being slaves of Christ. It is someone, essentially, it's a person who is useful for Christ. And he is a good servant. And here's some characteristics of what the good servant is, is what we'll look at. at, uh, Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, and this is what Paul says. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is how one should regard us as servants, table waiters, serving one another. This is how we should be regarded. 
We should not be regarded as those that take advantage of each other, but we should be regarded as those who serve each other because of this, because we have a stewardship of the gospel that's given to us from Christ. So that's the good servant, one who serves. Now, what are the characteristics or the qualities of a good servant? So the first one I want us to look at is the good servant of Christ points out false teaching. We looked at this last week. A good servant of Christ points out false teaching. The pastor or the minister will point out false teaching. But sometimes the pastor doesn't always have his, have his mind in what's going on out there that perhaps the congregation knows about. So we, as servants of Christ, have to be able to discern good teaching and false teaching. Look at uh, verse Uh, Verse 6, he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ. These are the things that he talked about before in verses 4, 1 through 5, where we talked about being the apostate or how apostasy comes. We have to be able to be... uh, uh, able to discern between the, the teaching of truth and the teaching of demons. This is what he's saying. If you put these before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ. Paul spoke about this in other areas in 1 Timothy. If we remember 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4, he says this, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine." nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And then what we looked at last week, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says in a latter time some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received in thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then Paul in 2 Timothy, he still addresses it in 2 Timothy 4.3. He says it this way, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. There's a time coming when people won't endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. We can, we can see that nowadays. It's very obvious nowadays that we have teachers out there that just want to tickle the ears. You know, we have congregations out there that don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear the word sin. They don't want to hear the word repentance. They don't want to hear those things. They want to come to church and they don't want to be convicted by the Spirit, but they want to leave feeling good. They don't want to be encouraged on on how to be a better Christian, how to better serve each other. And this is what they do. They accumulate teachers that are that way. And Paul tells Timothy that they are going to do this. Therefore, knowing this, the good servant of Christ is aware of wolves in sheep clothing. And they're able to detect that. That's our first one. The good servant of Christ points out false teachers. Secondly, we see that the, we see that the good servant of Christ is nourished in the word. The good servant of Christ is nourished in the word. Again, in, in verse 6, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith. And of the good doctrine that you have followed, trained is being, this word means being nourished up. 
It's being nourished up. That's what we do with babies, right? When a newborn baby comes, what's the most important thing for the newborn baby is to be nourished, to be nourished with good stuff, right? And that's the same thing with us. It's nourishment for our souls. Just like we feed our bodies every day with food to sustain us, we have to feed our souls with food to sustain us to sustain us. We have to have that in our lives. It has to be a regular part of our diet. Uh, Jeremiah speaks of it in uh, chapter 15, 16. He puts it this way. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Oh, that should describe us, brothers and sisters. That should describe us when we go to God's word. What a prayer to pray. We could even pray that as a prayer where we could sit there and say, let your words, Lord, become a joy to me, that I would delight in your word, that I would be nourished by your word, that I would be fed by you, that you would come and your spirit would come and would feed me so that my soul would delight in you. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And then again in 1 Peter, he likens it to the babies, right? Like newborn infants, long, desire, long, Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Peter tells us to long for it. Like newborn babes crave their mother's milk, we should crave and be nourished up in the word of God. But just not in anything. This nourishment must be sound doctrine. It must be sound teaching. It can't just be any willy-nilly teaching out there. It has to be sound teaching. This is what he encourages Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If we have bad teaching and we have false teaching, we will not be servants who rightly handle the word of truth. When we are nourished up in the good doctrine and we're nourished up in the good teaching and we're nourished up in the, perfect, the perfection of who Christ is and the perfection of his word, we will be those who handle the word of truth correctly. Again, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he puts it this way. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we are servants of Christ, the word has to dwell in us richly so that we can be those who are equipped for every good work. This is how we are nourished up. The good servant of Jesus Christ is nourished up in the word. So how are we nourished? Well, it's simple. By reading the word, by listening to the word, by meditating on the word, by memorizing the word, by talking to each other about the word. Those are how areas that we are nourished up. As iron sharpens iron, the Bible tells us. 
That's us talking with each other. That's us encouraging each other. That's us sharpening each other. That means we can't stay away from each other. That means during the week, we have to be in contact with each other so that we will sharpen each other. So that we will sharpen each other. I love it. I love it when I get texts when people from the congregation, when you're encouraged by something and you send it to me to be encouraged by it, I absolutely love that because that's iron sharpening iron. If you get up in the morning and you read something, you're like, wow, that was really cool. Text me. Say, hey, this really hit me today because it might be an encouragement to me. We always need to be encouraging each other. And this is how we are nourished up in the word. And that'll help us to be good servants of Christ. Third, the good servant of Christ stays away from profane teaching. The good servant of Christ stays away from profane teaching. 1 Timothy 4.7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, Rather, train yourself for godliness. This have nothing to do with. This in the Greek, I have to bring this up, but this in the Greek, in its verb tense, is a command. It's not a suggestion. He's not suggesting that we stay away from irrelevant or irreverent silly myths. He's saying, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Don't even entertain the idea. Avoid it completely is what he's telling us. Avoid it completely. Irreverent is the opposite of holy. It actually means profane. That's what he's saying, profane. Have nothing to do with profane, silly myths. In 1 Timothy 6.20, it's not going to be up there right now, but just listen to these Paul gives us this warning many times. In 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. In 2 Timothy 2.16 and 17, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. We read that in the resurrection today as we talked about it. But this is Paul's point. We are not to entertain ourselves with those things. We need to be devoted to sound teaching to sound doctrine and not concern ourselves with these silly irreverent myths that take us away or genealogies that take us away we have to be centered on christ and what he has for us this is the good servant of christ the fourth thing i want to look at the good servant of christ trains for godliness trains for godliness look at verses seven and eight have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths rather train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come so what paul is saying is that bodily exercise is good it is good having a good diet is good it is not bad, but it is only beneficial for this life. It is not beneficial for the life to come. 
But when we train ourselves for godliness, now that is beneficial for this life and the life to come. That is his point. He puts it this way in a sense in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So he's telling us, run this race. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, right? This is the one who trains to win the race, but what do they get? They get a perishable wreath. It's going to perish. Godliness does not perish. But we, an imperishable one, right? So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So godliness then is holy living. This is what we should be pursuing, is holy living, this godliness. And Christ is the example of godliness. When we read in the Gospels, we read of Christ's life, every aspect of Christ's life, from his humiliation to his exaltation, is godly. Everything he said and he did was holy. He is our ultimate example. Even in 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Christ is godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So Christ is the example of godliness. And we also have to understand that godliness is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But godliness we do. Godliness follows us. This godly living. Godliness is to be pursued in 1 Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It is something that we should be proved. So the great 21st century theologian, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, <laughs> this is what he says. And I thought, it was, I thought it was striking because it fit this so perfectly. He says, there are skills you learn in the gym discipline, working through fatigue, pushing past what you perceive as a limit because there is greatness on the other side. And that fits this sermon perfectly. When we are talking about training for godliness, the word train here is the word we get our word gymnasium from. That's where we get our word gymnasium. So it's this training. It's the same in the gym of godliness. We must have discipline. There must be discipline in our lives. Godly disciplines to read, to memorize, to meditate, to pray. These are disciplines we have to have. We have to work through fatigue. How many times have you sat down to read your Bible and you read like two paragraphs and you're like, oh man, you're dead, you're tired. Right? It just, we have to be able to, we have to work through that fatigue. We have to work through our, 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 our tiredness. We get up on Sunday mornings, oh man, I'm tired. We have to push through the fatigue because this is God's word that is feeding us. We have to push past with, with what we perceive as a limit. This is what he says. He's talking about weight, right? He's talking about endurance. But what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about that we have to push past in the gym of godliness 
is what we know. We have to push past our limits. We are at a certain limit, but God's word is, is um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is um, infinite. His word is infinite. We can't know this. We can't sit there and say, oh, uh, like Martin read John 3.16. Oh, yeah, I get that. That passage of John 3.16 is infinitely deep because it comes from the infinitely deep God. We have to push ourselves past the limits. Yes, the word is simple, but yes, the word is deep. And we have to be able to push ourselves past this because of that in the gym of godliness. We must push ourselves to go deeper into the word because when we go deeper into the word, we find the greatness of Christ on the other side. We find how great God is on the other side. Brothers and sisters, the good servant of Christ trains in the gym of godliness. Fifth, the good servant of Christ works hard. The good servant of Christ works hard. Look at 1 Timothy 4, uh, 9 and 10. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So we toil, we labor. We labor in our faith. We do this. We, we labor in the Word. Martin, brother, as ministers of the Word, we labor in the Word. We spend time in the Word. We are seeking, searching deep into the Word so that we can feed the sheep of God. That is what the ministers do. He is to toil in the word of God. As servants of Christ, we are to do the same thing. We are to be diving in to the word of God. Searching the depths that it has to what God has for us. We are to labor within the word of God. We are to strive. The verse says to uh, uh, for to this end we toil and we strive. Or we, this word uh, could be translated in other uh, 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 translations as suffer reproach. We toil and we suffer reproach. And this is what we do. We suffer for Christ. We endured hardship for Christ. That is the Christian's call. Paul tells us that if we desire to live godly lives, we will be persecuted. When we train in the gym of godliness and we work hard and we labor in the word and we strive to do what is right, we will suffer persecution. It will come. It will come. This is what he tells us, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. Listen to Paul. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. First Peter four fourteen. if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Wow, that is awesome. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. What a testimony to your salvation. When you are insulted because you stand for the name of Jesus Christ, God says you're insulted because his glory 
is upon you. Wow. So I heard a quote this week from one of my customers I think is really good in here. He says, a skilled sailor is not made in calm seas. A skilled sailor is not made in calm seas. Brothers and sisters, just like a good servant of Christ, a faithful minister of Christ is not made without trials and tribulations in their lives, hardships in their lives. This is what makes us stronger believers is hardships and trials. The Christian that has nothing but smooth seas? Ah, that is not one who is a tested Christian. But you meet a minister, you meet somebody who is a Christian, who is in love with Christ and loves that grace and sees that mercy, that is one that's been through the fire. That is one that's been through the seas. That's one who understands the seas. That is him. So now why do we work hard and why do we toil? Because our hope is in the living God. That is why we work hard. That is why we are to be good servants of Christ. We are to be good ministers of Christ. 1 Timothy 6.17 As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We live in a world that is, or in the United States, that is affluent. In most, well, in the world, all of us in this room are in the 1% of the richest people in the world. We can't trust in our riches. We can't set our hope in our bank accounts, in our 401ks. We can't set our hope in the stock market. We can't set our hope in the equity we have in our house. These are uncertainties. But we are to set our hopes on God who richly provides for us everything. This is what the good servant of Christ does. He sets his hope there. That is where his hope is. That is where his trust is. The psalmist puts it this way, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of the Lord, of, the, of God forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, when we are down and we are in those trials and we are in those hardships, this is where we should turn. This is where our hearts should turn is to the steadfast love of God. Why? Because it endures forever and ever. It never changes for us. God's love does not change according to our performance. He loves you because he loves you. That is what he does. His love for you and I is on max all the time. And we see that in the death of Christ. Tell me one thing, and I want you to think about this when you get down on yourselves and when you're, when you're in the Dutch and, and you're in, the, you're in the, the dregs of life. Tell me what sin Christ did not die for. That's all you got to do. What sin did he not die for? He died for all of our sins. This is why our trust should be in the steadfast love of God forever. Again, in Psalms 118, he puts it this way. It's better to take refuge in the Lord, in Yahweh, than to trust in man. And again, in Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows, who he knows those who take refuge in him. So we work hard because he's our hope. We work hard because he is our salvation. 
Look at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, he's the Savior of all people. This does not mean that universal salvation. doesn't mean everybody is going to be saved. But we see within this world God's common graces to all of us to people who are believers and to people who are not believers. We see this common grace. For example, the sun coming up. That's a common grace for believers and unbelievers. Food, air, rain, marriage, all those things are the same. But especially to those who believe, right? Because we understand that those things come from God and they are good. And we are undeserving of the sun to come up. We are undeserving of the food or the air we breathe. But God in his goodness and his grace has given those things to us. And we as good servants of Christ should be grateful for those things. And finally, the good servant of Christ is faithful to teach. He's faithful to teach these things. Right? 1 Timothy 4.11, command and teach these things. This is what Paul tells Timothy. Command and teach these things. The things that we just went over, those are the things he's to, to command and teach. He tells them in 1 Timothy 6, 2, something. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And then to Titus, he puts it this way. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. As ministers of the word, your pastors, we are to teach these things. We are to teach this book as ministers of the word. That is what Paul is commanding Timothy to do. As a minister of Christ, Timothy, you preach and you teach and you command these things because they come with the authority of God. Brothers and sisters, same thing. We have to teach each other. We have to encourage each other in the same way because when we come to, with each other with the word of God, we don't come with our own authority, but we come with the authority of the word of God. That is what we come with. We have to encourage each other always in this. So, in closing, I must admit to you all that I fall way short of all of what we just talked about being a servant. So I need your prayers. And I need your prayers to be faithful to the things that I just taught, just as I need to be praying for you guys for these things that are taught. May we be conscious in our prayers that we would pray for each other, to be strengthened, to walk in such a way that the glory of God would be seen in our lives, that we would be known as faithful, good servants of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray that it's your word that convicts us, not mine. I pray, Father, it's your scripture that comes to our hearts. I pray it's the authority of your spirit that comes and shows us through your scriptures, Lord, what it is to be a good servant of Christ. Father, I pray for myself and for Martin and for Dick, Lord, that we would be good ministers of your word, that we would care for the sheep here 
at Faith Bible, Lord, with grace and compassion and mercy, that we would care for them as Christ has cared for us, Lord. Father, I pray that you would give each person here today a desire to be in your word, that you would show them when they are in your word great things from your word, Lord, that they would hide it in their heart they might not sin against you, and that we would be those who would rightly handle the word of truth. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.